Hey, you're listening to an upbeat rewind featuring Dusty Draper on March 4th, 2019. I first met Dusty back in 2017. It's crazy how long ago that was, but I was doing an internship down in Nashville and I met Dusty. He and I stayed connected, obviously did this podcast in 2019, and still to this day, we try to stay connected. He's a great friend of mine and an awesome connection. I'm just so happy to know him and especially to have had this opportunity to speak with him on the podcast and kind of dissect his story a little bit. Dusty Draper is an award-winning celebrity photographer out of Nashville. He specializes in commercial and concert photography, and he does photography for the Nashville Predators, which, if you don't know, is a professional hockey team. And then he does the CMA photography uh, for the Country Music Association. So Dusty shares in this episode his incredible story with us. And we chat about everything from overcoming trial and addiction and how to deal with haters and just adjusting your focus to achieving what you really want to do. It's an amazing one. And I'm so glad you're here listening. You're listening to an Upbeat Rewind featuring Dusty Draper. This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker K. Hey, Dusty, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. You have such an inspiring story. You've been through a lot. You've overcome a lot. I just had to have you on the show. I know that it will shift perspectives and inspire people and maybe even change lives. <laughs> you just never know. Yeah. Uh, let's get right into it. Um, of course, I've got some questions uh, for you regarding your career in photography and the equipment you use, uh, largely due to the fact I have some listeners who are photographers or aspiring photographers. But uh, to kick it off, I wanted to begin with your story, just to make sure we allow adequate time for that. How, how far back you want me to go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, just catch me up to catch the listeners up. Uh, who is Dusty Draper? Uh, take us childhood to where you are now and like maybe how and where you found your passion for photography uh, and all that good stuff. All right. Well, I grew up in Arizona, a small town called Pima, Arizona. Um, I was the oldest of five of us. Uh, it was kind of a chaotic environment I was in. You know, my parents got divorced when I was really young. We lived right by my grandmother, so she was a big influence on my life. And she would take us to church and feed us and do all kinds of stuff for us. Probably like nine, 10, 11 years old. My uncle, he was an artist and he would paint. But the way he would get his do his paintings is he'd go out and take pictures of like cowboys and Indian ruins and, you know, stuff like that. And then uh -huh. he would come back and blow them up on a projector and then trace them on the canvas and then he would paint them. So I really liked what he did with the photography part of it. So I got really interested in it and I um, saved some money and bought my first camera myself and went out and just started taking pictures. And I got married when I was kind of young we had two kids and then we got divorced and, uh, during that time I was going to nursing school and then I got out of nursing school and I started working as a nurse at the time I was working at a pharmacy and I picked up a prescription drug habit and I was stealing meds and I was taking those and I think I was pretty much just trying to self-medicate because of my divorce and all that stuff mm -hmm. that happened and that started uh really bad drug habit that lasted for probably uh, six years. You know, I was really, really addicted to, to pain meds. And then I got off pain meds by 
uh, starting a meth habit. So I got into methamphetamine and started doing that. And then I, next thing I knew, I was in the back of a police car getting arrested. So um, the weird thing about getting arrested, though, when I was sitting in the back of that police car, I was just like overcome with this feeling of peace that I hadn't felt in a really, really long time. And it was like confusing to me because I was getting arrested, you know? And I yeah. was, but, but the thought that came to me was, okay, this is the time, this is all finally over and you could start getting back to your life and putting your life back together. And I thought, man, that's impossible. How am I going to do that? You know, I was having all these conflicting thoughts. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I went to jail and then my, dad started visiting me and he started he brought me my scriptures that I hadn't read in a really long time and he'd bring me books to read and so I was reading those and then you know I spent a lot of time contemplating my life and uh, then when I got out of jail uh, my dad and my stepmom let me live with them and I was going through you know probation all that stuff and um, pretty much uh, put my life back together with them as far as you know, I got a little job at like Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and then I met my wife, who I'm married to now. We've been married for nine years, going on ten. Um, we have a little boy named Charlie now. He's eight, but um, when I I didn't really meet her, I've ar- I had already knew her. She knew me when I was um, a drug addict because we worked together. Uh, she was a nurse aide, and I was a nurse. And then um, she saw how I was after I got out that I was changed. So, um, one of her friends said, told me that I was interested or she was interested in me. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, what? You know, like I was just <laughs> kind of, cause she's like beautiful and she's awesome. And I, and I was like, yeah, okay. And then we started messaging on Facebook and, um, I asked her if she wanted to go to my uh, youngest sister's, um, wedding reception. Cause they were, uh, friends in high school and stuff. They graduated together. So, um, she said yes, so she went, and we hung out after that, and then, like, 41 days later, we were married. We ran off to <laughs> wow. Vegas and got married. That's awesome. <laughs> so, a lot of people were telling her, you know, he's a loser, and, you know, he's just gonna, he's just like this, and he's like that. So, even her parents were telling her, you know, hey, you know, this, we know him, and we saw what some of the things he did, because it's a small town that I was in, you know, so. Anyway, uh, fast forward a little bit. We, I had two, my two uh, older children, Jennifer and Trevin. They were living out in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and they would come out to visit us in Arizona, and we really missed them. And so we moved to Kentucky in 2012. It was Jennifer's uh, freshman year in uh, high school. Mm-hmm. Trevin was in seventh grade. We've been here ever since. Jennifer's a junior in college now, and Trevin's been graduated for a couple of years. But when we first moved out here in 2012, I started uh, going to uh, um, Nosey College of Art for photography. It was a life-changing experience. When I went there, I started um, volunteering for everything I could get my hands on. And one time I volunteered for a concert called Live on the Green, and it's just an outdoor concert with really cool bands that come, you know, like Jimmy Eat World, you know, like different stuff like that, Moon Taxi. So um, I volunteered for that. It was the first concert I ever shot, and I just fell in love with it. So I was shooting everything that I could get my hands on as far as uh, shows. And then um, uh, some. one of my classmates was doing an internship at 
Country Music Association, and she told me about a contest they were having where they um, get uh, a bunch of portfolios from different student photographers all around the country. And, um, she, you turn your portfolio in, and they pick five of you, and um, if they select you, you get to go shoot CMA test for four days. Awesome. And I, I got chosen as one of their photographers, and then at the end of it... <laughs> That's sweet. Yeah, it was awesome, and I didn't I didn't even want to turn my portfolio in. I was like, no, nah, I wasn't very confident. Um, but anyway, when at the end of it, um, they pick a winner to win, the, they call it the CMA Award of Merit, and I won it that year, so um, I got high, I've been doing it for the past six years, shooting CMA Fest, CMA Awards, um, and when I was there, I met a guy named John Russell, who was the Nashville Predators um, team photographer, that's a hockey team, for those of your listeners might not know that, but... Um, he also shoots a bunch of concerts at Bridgestone Arena where the Preds play, and me and him got to be pretty good friends because he shot with CMA also. So now I, he calls me when they have certain shows at Bridgestone to shoot, the ones that he can't shoot. So, I'll, like, recently I shot Panic at the Disco and, like, Imagine Dragons. I've shot every – I mean, there's so many bands, I can't even name them all, but it's awesome. I mean, and, like, some of my friends were um, – saying the other day they were going to the show panic at the disco and i was like oh yeah i'm going too but they're paying me to be there (laughs) and i was like i'm not bragging i'm just stating the fact you know just joking with them because they're my friends but um it's man it's like a dream come true and i never saw it coming you know when i went to school i thought i'd take family portraits and senior portraits and stuff like that and it's kind of just snowballed into what i'm doing now but you know it's a lot of fun i yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I I went on for a long time, so if you got any questions, I'll shut up and let you ask. <laughs> no, you're good. I do want to hit on some points there. Like I said at the very beginning, you have such an amazing up and down, like inspiring story that I know will reach out to anyone who's listening. You and your wife uh, were nurses, were registered nurses, and you did that for, what you say, like five or six years? Yeah, I did it six years, yeah. And then divorce, drug addiction, rehab, and you've been clean now. Uh, how many years have you been clean from, from that? It'll be 13 years in July, actually. Awesome. So, well, congrats. That's yeah. super cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, it feels, feels really good to, to say 13 years, you know, because I used to think I couldn't go like 13 minutes without doing drugs, you know. So, and now I'm, the, I'm one of the facilitators for an addiction recovery program out here. Um, we get about uh, six to eight uh, participants each week, and it's pretty cool. We got some missionaries out here, the a brother and sister that are here from Utah that um, are uh, missionaries. So they help us. We do it in their home, and it's really cool because they're they're really awesome. You know, they've had they've had a lot of experiences uh, with that kind of stuff in their family, so they volunteered to help us out, but. Yeah, I, and it's that's another one of my passions. You know, if I can go back and start over, you know, I mean, I might go into something like, you know, counseling or therapy, you know, something like that, because I just love leading those groups. Uh-huh. Because the people in those groups are just, all you're getting is raw, real people. You know, I mean, you're not getting any um, fake people. They're bearing their soul to you every week, you know, and it's, and I've just been, so blessed to know some of these people because they inspire me. You know, you say I might inspire some people, but I get inspired every week because 
you know, some people are sitting there telling me they just want to go one week without doing something that they're addicted to. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I remember being there and for them to be taking these first steps, you know, it's, it's really it takes a lot of courage. Yeah, it's special. Well, and I've, I actually have someone who is super close to me in my family who uh, was struggling with meth for about four years. Uh, They've been sober for a little over a year now. And and I've been talking to him a lot more in this year. And it's just crazy to see like how genuine and authentic of a person uh, he is now, you know? Yeah, that's great. That's a, that's wonderful. I mean, a year is a huge deal, you know, because like the whole time that I was doing drugs, all I was doing the whole time was like looking for more drugs, you know? That's mm-hmm. my whole focus. I mean, I wasn't concerned about anything else. So for the person to to go through that and then be a year sober, that's just, that's awesome. I love to hear those stories. Me too. It's it's really humbling uh, and special. Uh, but for anyone, because addiction's everywhere. I think everyone struggles with some form of addiction and and depression and trying to dig themselves out of a hole they may they may be in. I guess what would your advice be to anyone struggling uh, in the, in those dark spots currently? Yeah, I mean there was. I had other opportunities. I mean, I had a dad that was um, always coming to my house, you know, wanting to help me. Mm-hmm. And I just I just did not want to talk to him because I knew if I talked to him, then I was going to have to make changes in my life. And I just was afraid. So I would the advice I would give somebody is don't be afraid. The people that are around you and coming to you and want to help you and they're worried about you. Those are the people that are going to be there after you start getting sober because you know how many, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, how many friends that I lost when I got arrested and got clean and sober. It's just like all the people that were around me when I was an addict were automatically disappeared. <laughs> and that's the best thing they could have. That's the best thing that could have happened though, because they were all, um, really like not good for me, you know, and I, I probably wasn't good for them either. So, mm-hmm. you know, to, but being around those uh, people like my dad and my stepmom and, you know, um, positive people, I had, a, I had a lot of friends that, you know, would come and visit me when I got out or even when I was in jail, they would come visit me. So my advice would be, you know, when they're offering help, just be brave enough to take it because, I mean, it's going to change your life literally, and they're going. All they want is, I mean, they love you, and all they want to do is help you because they know what your potential is, even if you don't know it. They know what you used to be or what you can be, and and it's just, I mean, it's hard when you're caught up in addiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, no matter what anybody says or does, unless you're willing to make a change, um, you, you're not. You're not going to, I couldn't convince anybody to do it, you know, unless they are ready to change. I mean, you have to turn your, I mean, one of the first steps in addiction recovery is to turn your wheel over to a higher power, you know. So, I mean, if you're not willing to do that yet, if you're still relying on the drugs, then, you know, there's not much anybody else can do for you. Yeah. Well, that's something I was uh, actually just thinking about was during the recovery process, uh, what did you cling on to during those times? Was it family? Was it religion? Yeah, um, both. I mean, 
mostly it was it was uh, getting better for my kids. You know, it was I hadn't seen them for a while, and I wanted to make amends with them. But the main thing that happened for me when I was you know in a jail cell was prayer. You know, reading reading my scriptures. Um, but you know, I had some pretty awesome experiences with that kind of stuff. I still do. You know, I have a, I, I got, I had a rough time when I was in jail. I got beat up really bad one time. And, um, so I have some PTSD that goes along with that. So I still have like some issues sometimes with my anxiety and depression. Uh, I've, I've been taking some therapy, you know, for some of that stuff and some other stuff. But what I, what I do now is I try to, um, I get up early in the morning. I clear my mind. I do some breathing techniques that are really good. You do some deep breathing and it helps relax you, clears your mind. And that way you can um, focus on what's important. And that just keeps me grounded. You know, like I, I pray for people who, you know, need help. I mean, I'm also in a, a leadership position here in my church. I'm a, in the elders quorum presidency. So we do a lot of ministry now here. And so I pray for those people and, you know, I, I write a weekly email to my family and friends. There's about 60 people on that email list and it's just it's inspirational stuff. Uh, um, it's um, spiritual stuff that I go through that I want to share with people. And um, I, I get responses back. Like I didn't, I got, I got in a deep depression for like two weeks and here recently and I didn't write for two weeks and one person wrote to me and told me, I mean, a few wrote, but this one person in particular wrote to me and told me um, a story about um, how I helped her and her family. And that inspired me to start writing again. And it kind of gave me a ladder to climb out of that pit of depression. And so I started um, writing again. And I sent that to my wife and I said, you got to read this. And she said, if you ever wonder if anybody's uh, reading these emails or um, you wonder if anybody's listening to what you're saying, just read this one, you know. And that was true because it made me feel really good that what she said. And I think that's a good point, too, is so often, uh, you know, these days people are discouraged with even just their content creation and distribution anyone with a Facebook or Instagram or YouTube channel or myself with this podcast, I get super discouraged a lot of the time wondering if, if anybody's listening. And I've also had times where people reach out and they're like, Hey, thanks for saying this. It helped me in such and such way. And it's always good to, to hear back about that. And, and I guess experience those full circle moments where you're like, okay, something I did, did reach that person. And it did, uh, help them out on on their hard day or their hard times. Well, I'm always bragging about you out here. <laughs> oh gosh! I'll, uh, I'll, I'll uh, show people your videos, like the Gethsemane video. That's like my son. My son's eight, and that's like his favorite primary song or a church song, you know. And uh, I showed him that video of you and that girl singing, and it was uh, he loved it, you know. So that, and I've listened to. I think I listened to all but one of your podcasts while I'm commuting to work. So yeah, those are cool, man. I like the <laughs> ones where you did, uh, you just had the lab mic on and you're walking around talking to people and, and just getting their story. That was really cool. Cause that's like just people conversing, you know, that's real stuff. It's not like sitting down and planning out all this stuff. You were just talking to them. That was cool. I like that. 
Thank you. See, I mean, right there, <laughs> full circle moment. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm a podcast guy. I listen to, you know, like all kinds of stuff. I listen to sports stuff. I listen to addiction recovery stuff. I, I even saw today where there's a Ron Burgundy podcast coming out, uh, like Will Ferrell's doing one in Ron Burgundy character. So that's pretty funny. Yeah, I think I think podcasts are like just barely scratching the surface. I think they're going to get really, really huge and a lot more like really popular people are going to start doing it. I agree. I mean, I think they're really cool. And plus it's just like a cool way to get your ideas out. It's uh, I mean, you can, anybody could really do it if they, you know, have a little bit of knowledge of it, but you have to keep it going. You have to have something interesting. And I definitely think you have that. So. Well, thanks. That's cool, man. I yeah. hope so. I just I think there's something so special about learning from each other's stories and using it to motivate ourselves. And really, there's that's kind of like never ending content. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I mean, one of my dreams is to travel the United States, like driving around and uh, taking my camera, and then just meeting interesting people and taking photos of them, and then just getting a little little clip of their story and just writing a book about different people that I meet and just having the photos in there with a little blurb of their story, like why they're interesting to me. And so that's one of my goals in life is to do that. And mine might be 80 years old before I do it, but yeah. maybe someday I'll be able to do it. So. It's a good, uh, a bucket list item, bucket list goal. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. To, I mean, I meet people all the time like that. Now I should just start writing it now but you know i haven't <laughs> <laughs> no worries well um i guess some other points from your incredible story uh your wife's parents like warning her a little bit about you and some of the things uh, that they were they were telling themselves ab about you how did you get over that like when people were i guess talking bad on you and and kind of similarly like relating it to to people who are listening the hate comments <laughs> on their yeah. posts, you know, people who dog on them all the time. Like, like what do you do to get over that when people are, are hating on you? My wife, when we were dating, she was even having people like saying stuff to her, mostly guys, of course, saying stuff about me and saying you should date me and not her or not him and all this stuff. So she went on Facebook and made this post like, I'm marrying this guy. You can either jump on the train or not. I don't care but I'm marrying him. So that made me feel like, okay, I don't care what anybody says. She's, she's with me. So I don't care. You know, like I, she's got my back. So I guess the thing that I would advise people to do when you got all these hate comments is, um, just know who you are. I mean, I know who I was. They knew who I used to be and they thought they knew who I was, but they didn't see the change in me. They don't, they didn't know my whole story. They didn't know everything about me, what was in my heart. So neither do these people that are commenting on Facebook posts and stuff like that. That stuff frustrates me so bad, being mean to each other. And they wouldn't do that in person, you know? <laughs> so why would you do it on, on Facebook or something? So yeah, just be yourself and you got to let that stuff, you know, slide off your back. I know it's easier said than done, but you know, and I still get frustrated sometimes, but you know, as long as you know who you are, you believe in yourself, you have, you know, your little support group of family and friends. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. True. Thank you. That's really yeah. good advice. I needed to hear it. I know 
everyone does. Like it's, we live in a world of media and, and negativity and, and we need to remind ourselves of, of what you just said. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's real easy to do something nice. I mean, it's just as easy to do something nice, maybe easier than to do something that's, you know, mean to somebody. It's a frustrating world we live in sometimes. There's a lot of good out there. I mean, I see it every day. So. Me too. It's it's incredible. There's definitely the negative side pulling and then there's the positive side pulling as well. And you just got to do your part to be on the positive side, to be a kind person. Well, going back to my in-laws, my, my father-in-law, he didn't really ever say anything. I'm sure that you know, he said something maybe to his wife, but um, my mother-in-law, I told her when me and Tiffany first got together, I said, I'm like a fungus, I'll grow on you. So <laughs> I remind her of that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, and then I guess toward the end of that recovery story, I mean, you picked up the camera again. Uh, how old were you when you did that? Um, I was 37. Yeah, it was 10 years ago because I just turned 47. Um, I was working at a job at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I would go and pick up people from the airport, and I would bring them to the, you know, the place to get a car. And then, you know, I'd wash cars, do stuff like that. And I was pretty miserable because I knew I could do more than that. Mm-hmm. So my wife um, knew that I loved taking photos. She's like, well, why don't you go to school to do photography? And I was just like blown away, you know, like, what, <laughs> you know, so yeah. she, she bought me a camera shortly after that. And I started, you know, taking classes at a community college. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed it liked it a lot. And then when we moved out here, I saw, you know, this place in Nashville and then I like wrote in for some info and they called me and told me to come in and tour the school. So I did, you know, graduate, I got two degrees from there. I got a associate's degree and a bachelor's degree because when I first went there they didn't have a bachelor's degree so I went back and then about a year after I graduated they hired me (laughs) to do recruiting so I was a recruiter at the college that I graduated from for two years (laughs) that's cool yeah it was fun I used to go to high schools and do presentations and um, show them stuff I did and then tell them about the school and then I go to college fairs you know, different, uh, universities and stuff. And it was really, it was a cool job. It was just, I was away from my family so much that it was hard. Yeah. And then when this job opportunity came available, I couldn't pass it up. So, you know, and then, so they understood. I talked to him at my last job. I said, this place will always be like a family, second family, but you know, I got, I went to school to be a photographer, not a recruiter. So, you know, I want to do that. And they were cool. They were, they're always been really cool with me about, you know, they said I'd come back anytime. I'd like to teach there someday, but you know, not, not yet. I'm not ready yet. Yeah. No, I just think that's incredible. Uh, cause I'm in, I'm 26 and I'm constantly around a bunch of people that are like 22, 23, or sometimes yeah. even younger. And they're just so, depressed and miserable and they feel like they don't have their life figured out and that they're I guess like totally screwed and that they have no idea what they're going to do and like it's just really encouraging to be able to say like you know what 22 is not when your life is done there's so much more to life uh, and you can make decisions that'll change your life uh, later on even yeah sorry I'm going to walk in here for a second because my boys and 
Cub Scouts, and he's getting out in a minute, so I'm just going to walk in here. It's going to get a little noisy. But... <laughs> no worries. All right. Sorry, I'm trying to multitask. Yeah, what you're saying is, I mean, I was in school with so many, like, uh, young kids, you know, just out of high school, and that was one of the issues I had, too, was thinking, man, I'm I'm old, you know, and especially the I shot a panic at the disco con or panic at the disco concert like the day before my forty seventh birthday and uh-huh. that's when I really feel old. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. But um I mean there's other photographers there that are, you know, way less than half my age and so but I mean my kids keep me young. I mean I enjoy what I do. I could probably do what I do for another, you know, 30 years probably, you know, like, I mean, if I wanted to, it's not a hard job, but I love it. So even if I'm not doing it for money, I'm probably going to be doing it, you know, Mm -hmm. might as well get paid for it. Yeah. Well, in getting started, um, what kind of things did you shoot for free and what kind of things did you charge for? Like when you were first starting out? Well, when I first started out, I was charging for stuff like senior pictures and family pictures and stuff like that. You know, I wasn't charging a whole lot. I want, I just wanted to get experience and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, then I, when I went to school, I was shooting like any kind of event I could get my hands on. Like they have like corporate events that um, they will, they'll have like um, companies come into Nashville and they'll, you know, have like these huge events and uh, I'd shoot those. I started shooting second shooting weddings you know, mm-hmm. like I, a, a company hired me and I'd just be the second shooter and I'd go and, you know, get all the detailed shots, stuff like that. And then pretty soon I was the, the lead photographer. So I did that for a few years and that was good money. The concert stuff, I did a lot of volunteer stuff for that before I started getting paid for it. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like you have to pay your dues in that area. But... um yeah, I mean, I, I like shooting sports. I did I did some volunteer stuff for that, but now you get paid for that too. And I don't know. I'm just pretty well-rounded. Right now, I, you know, I'm getting paid to do product photography every day. So mm-hmm. um, it's pretty interesting, though, because I love it. I mean, I just I, – I go to work. I shoot these carburetors and mufflers, and, and then I'll stand at my desk, and I have one little stand-up desk, and I'll edit, you know pretty much all day after I've shot and it, I listen to my podcast or my music and I'm just peaceful, you know, and it's kind of like doing, I have one of those tablets where you draw on it. So it, I'm doing editing with that. It's kind of like I'm doing artwork every day, you know, and it's, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's really peaceful and I love it. It's like therapeutic for me, I guess. Yeah. That sounds so. amazing. Uh, and when you started out, did you ever, cause I know, I'm around a lot of photographers that are doing wedding photography. Did you mm-hmm. ever do like wedding photography or do you ever do that? Or are you strictly like exclusively commercial and concert photography? No, I did wedding photography for a long time. I was, uh, I, I was hired by a company that um, shot up in Indiana mostly. So I did a lot of wedding shooting up there and then I did it on my own for a long time. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a big money, but, the one thing about weddings is I'm too busy to edit all those pictures and they mm-hmm. want like hundreds of pictures. Like ASAP. <laughs> so, oh yeah. They want them like the next day. And I mean, I'm so busy. I can't get them in the, you know, in a timely manner. So 
I don't do them unless some, I mean, I charge so much that if I do it, it's worth my time. And, yeah. and if, and I weed out a lot of the people that I would probably get if I was lower, but it's just not worth it to me because it's, it's, it's fun to do it. It's just not fun to edit all the pictures. You know, there's so much, I'd have to hire an editor probably for us to do that. You know? Yeah. So say you are a college student, uh, in 2019 with some serious passion and skill for photography. What do you do to like start shooting concerts and stuff? Like if that's what you want to go do, uh, yeah. like break it down for us. How, how do you get gigs like that and, and start off when you're not like a reputable photographer yet? Yeah. If you're not worried about getting paid right away, which you shouldn't be if you're shooting photography you should go to like find some online magazine or some print magazine that's uh got some kind of pull that can get you into the shows because if you got a name like a newspaper or a magazine or something attached to you and you get them to um contact the venue then they can get it get you in pretty easy and i mean you'll have a pit pass or whatever you know like uh, the last of the people that i talked to there at the show last show i shot one was shooting for a, a newspaper in a small dinky town in Tennessee. And he just loved going to shows. So he went and talked to the people at the newspaper and he'll give him a few photos every once in a while, but he gets into all these awesome shows, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what he's doing now. And he was probably 19, 20 and uh, that he's just building his portfolio. So that's the best thing to do is to do something like that. Another way you could do it is, which is a little harder is talk to like publicists and stuff like that. But then you got to do, um, you're going to get rejected a lot because you're not going to get answered by some of the publicists. You might get lucky and meet one in person and get a, get exchange cards with them or something like that. But, um, the best way to go is go through some kind of publication. That's, that's almost guaranteed. You're going to get in the show. So, that's what I would say to do if you're wanting to shoot music photography. Yeah. Well, and another thing that I'm, that I'm seeing, and this is maybe just my opinion, but I see so many people that are photographers or, or want to be, or think they are. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's like, it's just so huge in 2019 now. So like, what would your advice be to someone who's going into something so saturated or do you think it's saturated? Like, how do you break through? Oh, yeah. yeah I, I do think it's saturated. Um, First thing I tell somebody is get your prices set and know what you're going to charge. Have a day rate, a half day rate, and an hourly rate. Mm-hmm. That way you look. That way you're coming out of the uh, box looking professional. But the next thing I would say is do something that makes you stand out to where you're different from all those others. I mean, I see so many what they call mom photographers. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm looks, thinking of. All their stuff looks exactly the same and. There's, there's a few that don't, you know, they stand out. They got something that they do that's different. You know, they have a style and if you have a style and you have a niche and you have, you know, you're going to be successful. I mean, if, as long as it's a, you know, you know what you're doing, you're, you're not technically bad where you're, everything's out of focus or you don't know how to compose a photo or whatever. As long as you're doing everything technically right and you have some kind of style and you, stand out you're going to be successful because if you if you don't look like everybody else you know some people like that stuff some people even ask me to edit (laughs) like some of them and i'm like i don't 
I don't edit like them. <laughs> That's not you, your thing. You might want to you might want to call him if you want that. <laughs> awesome. Well, and I'm assuming that like marketing advertising wise, like a lot of your success has come from just networking and like word of mouth. Like, would you say that's yeah. correct? Yeah. Word of mouth is my main source of, um, how I, you know, get my business. Um, and the networking thing was huge for me because I networked with, I got lucky and networked with, you know, a professional hockey teams, photographer that happened to shoot concerts, you know? Yeah. I mean, I got, I got lucky to meet him. It, and then when you know somebody like that, it just seems like people know you by default, you know, like, Oh, you got him working for you. You know, who's that guy? Mm-hmm. Or he's commenting on all your stuff or liking your pictures and, or you're tagging yourself in a, in a at a place with him, you know, people are going to get to know you. So getting your name out there, like I built my own website on Wix, you know, it's like dustydraper.com. I mean, I built it really easy and, that's another way you I'd say make some business cards and be, go to networking places, you know, meetings and like here in Nashville, it's easy to go to music related stuff and network. But I mean, I, if in Rexburg, Idaho, it's probably a little bit different, <laughs> but yeah. that's not, that doesn't mean you can't go out networking at different stuff, you know, and get jobs shooting. Cause I mean, I'm sure a lot of people get married in Rexburg. So <laughs> they're going to need yep. photographers. So. Definitely. No, I just, I wanted to point that out because, I mean, I'm in Rexburg uh, and I have found most of my success just purely through meeting people. And a lot of listeners have actually reached out to me, like, how are you finding people to be on your podcast and have them be so diverse and whatever? Uh, And it's because the last three years I've been networking like crazy and going to events and I've, I've just met a lot of people. So to those photographers who are trying to, I guess, spread the word and get that word of mouth action is so much better to do it that way than to try to spend a bunch of money and don't be fancy. Like just get out there and meet people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I saw this one, this one girl that I knew that was a photographer. She, uh, she did like a vlog, you know, that was cool way to that. Cause like all that stuff's free, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to pay for that kind of advertising or Facebook or, Snapchat, you don't have to pay for any of that stuff. I, so I don't know, like, I don't know anybody that is a professional out here that pays for advertising, you know, other than their mm-hmm. business cards or something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many sources and there's nothing beats like meeting somebody face to face. For example, when I met you, like you just came with those other two guys and we talked at the school that one time. That's how I met you, you know? Yep. And then I never forgot who you were. And then I would follow you. And then I saw your music stuff and your beatbox stuff. And now you're doing this. And I've just seen kind of an evolution from when I first met you. And it's really cool, you know? Thank so you. that was an awesome networking opportunity for me because I got to see you and meet you and see what you're all about, you know? So. Well, and it's mutual. I, I know you're going to you're going to really help me with this podcast too. I know there's a lot of listeners that are looking forward to hearing from you. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And I, uh, hold on. I'm going to go in this room. <laughs> You're good. Kinds of, I think the young women just got out of their meeting. Or something. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So it's got super loud. So, uh, let me close this door. So, um, what was you saying about meeting this week Maddie, last year? So it was kind of like a, uh, sorry, I got lost my focus. 
No, you're good. I was just saying it's cool to know that like we met a year and a half or more ago, uh, mm-hmm. just totally randomly through through connections in that in Nashville when I was there for my internship. And then yeah. we've kind of had like our eye on each other the last year and a half. And then boom, now 2019 uh, for this podcast, like we're coming together to do something cool that we maybe never thought we would. Yeah. I always think of it like, okay, just imagine like life is a straight line and then like you're weaving back and forth. And sometimes you're intersecting with that line. Sometimes you're to the left, sometimes you're to the right. And then sometimes you're right on that line and somebody else is right on that line. And, and I think that's when you meet up and, you know, cool things happen. And I think that's what happened with us, you know, like mm-hmm. we met after our lines were swerving all over the place, we met and then they swerved again and then we met again. So it's yep. really cool, man, how small the world is, you know, that, how, how this stuff all works. Yeah, definitely. And that's accidentally that happens sometimes, but uh, you can almost like purposefully make it happen by like choosing to act and go network, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Networking huge, man. I've met so many. Golly. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. This is crazy. I'm going to go in this other room. Over here. All right. I just don't want to, I want to make sure my son doesn't like think I'm not here to get him. So I'm in this room there. There's a window now. It's crazy. Networking is huge. Like I've I've met so many cool people. Like I've met, um, like doing these shows, I would talk to like other photographers. Charlie, Charlie, come here. Sorry, I had to grab my son. You're good. Hey, come in here. I'm gonna finish talking to Parker. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna turn the light on for you. So yeah, I've met so many cool people, like uh, managers of bands, publicists, band members. You know, like. This one band I shoot a lot for is uh, Moon Taxi, and they're out of Nashville, and they're really cool. So, you know, I've met the, all of them. We did a photo shoot at the school. We've, uh, you know, for, you know, album kind of stuff. And then, you know, I did a TV show shoot. Like, I was a photographer for a TV show for a bluegrass band, and I met another bluegrass band, and I shot their uh, last album cover at this old mansion in Nashville. And, it was really cool. They're called, their name was Flat Lonesome. So, you know, they're a really cool young band. You know, they've won a lot of awards for bluegrass music. And just, I never would have met them if I didn't have that other gig, you know. We just kind of met backstage and exchanged, you know, exchanged numbers and got following them on Facebook. And then they reached out to me to shoot their album cover. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Really interesting. Uh, just briefly, uh, I wanted to, make sure I covered like the gear and the photography oh, sure. uh, yeah, yeah. The stuff just so the photographers listening can get some advice. But uh, what cameras do you use? Uh, and maybe like what lighting settings do you use when you're, when you're at concerts or is, are you just going with the lights that are there? So I use Canon gear. Um, that's all I've ever used. Um, so it's just, you know, I got a 5D Mark three, and uh, when I'm shooting hockey, um, they provide like a 1DX, which is really a really good camera for mm-hmm. like sports and stuff. The focus tracking on it's really awesome. So when the skaters are coming towards you, if you're like behind the goal, you can focus on them really fast. So it's not like, you know, you don't have to worry about getting focused because the camera will just help you do it. So anyway, um, those two cameras, they use mostly um, – I, I have baseline settings if I'm shooting a show, but um, you gotta 
the the main thing with shooting concerts or anything really is balancing your shutter speed, your aperture, and your ISO. So if you do all that, if you know how to do all that, you'd be good. But I got baseline settings where I like my aperture is usually wide open at like 2.8, and my shutter speed I don't like having it lower than like uh, 320 for a show because it depends on who's there. If it's somebody that jumps around a lot, like, you know, um, imagine dragons was like all over the place. So I <laughs> yeah. set up my shutter speed and I just bumped up my ISO. Your ISO is like the sensitivity to light that your sensor will have. So mm-hmm. the higher that is, the, the more light it'll let in, the more sensitivity. So, but the, the, the bad thing about that is if you have it too high, you get what they call noise in your pictures and it kind of, it'll have this little, it looks like fuzzy stuff in the shadows and stuff like that. And you don't yeah. want that in pictures, you know, you want it to be pretty clear. So yeah, I'm constantly adjusting, you know, my settings. If you, I I put like a few years ago, I put a, a video up on YouTube of when I was, I had a GoPro on my chest at CMA Fest or CMA Awards. Mm-hmm. And I, you could see me shooting and I'm just constantly like adjusting because lighting setups are different, you know? Yeah. Like, you'll, you'll be in a small venue that has bad lighting, but CMA probably spends, like, a million bucks on their lighting, so it's really easy to get good shots because their lighting's so awesome. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, yeah, when you're in a – you have to – you just have to be um, flexible with – you have to know what you're doing pretty much. You know, you, you can't go in there and put it on auto and – start trying to shoot a concert because it's just not going to work. And would you say that like when you go um, to shoot concerts and stuff, are you like freestyling a lot or do you have like specific things you're supposed to do? Well, it depends. I mean, certain, certain times they'll ask you, you know, they they may have a little bit of a shot list, but I mean, I pretty much know what they're looking for. You know, uh, you want action shots. You don't want mics in front of people's faces, you know, you want uh, you don't want everything so close. You want some wide shots. You, you know you want to get like if it's a five person band, you want to get shots of. You don't want to just concentrate on the lead singer or the guitarist. You want to get the whole band, you know, so they don't feel like, <laughs> you know, oh, why are you just shooting that guy? Because then they probably won't hire you again. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's certain things, you know, like it. Like it's during CMA Fest, they pretty much tell you what they're looking for, and I've done it for last six years, so I know what they're looking for. But yeah, there's different uh, people to ask you for different stuff. You know, have you run into any like celebrities who are maybe a little picky about like what angles you get? <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> um, but um, it's funny because like um, some of them like. I don't want to put anybody on blast, but no, that's okay. Like, uh, like Carrie Underwood, um, will be like on the phone with her publicist, you know, like my boss at CMA will be on the phone with her publicist and they're like going through our photos and saying which ones they like, which ones they don't like. They don't like any with her mouth open. They don't like, like another artist didn't like any from a certain side. And it's so like, they'll approve like maybe one out of 20 photos, you know, but the ones they do approve when it's yours, they get really excited. So, How do you, you not know? get a shot with her mouth open if she's a singer? <laughs> I don't know. That was, I don't know. <laughs> you do, but it's luck because she's, I mean, 
it's not like she's got a bad mouth. She's got, you know, she looks, she's got beautiful. She's got enough money to buy new teeth and she didn't have them already. <laughs> so let's go up to the club. That's awesome. Uh, well, yeah. there was one uh, picture I thought was pretty incredible uh, of yours of Je- of Justin Bieber um, looking oh, yeah. right at you. Did you guys plan that? Like, do you ever rehearse with the celebrities, or is that just like luck too? Uh, that was uh, pretty much luck because it looks like I'm right there in front of Justin Bieber, but I'm in the I'm in the back by the soundboard with a 600 millimeter lens. <laughs> so I'm like a hundred yards away from him. Wow. Yeah, and, that's a good uh, it looks picture. like I'm right on top of him taking the picture. So he probably wasn't even looking, probably couldn't even see me. So yeah. it just looks like he's looking at me, but yeah, there was another one where I got a shot of, um, I guess the guy from Imagine Dragons, his name, Dan Reynolds. Name, yeah. He was, uh, he was singing up and I was up in the pit for that show and there was one where he almost kicked me right in the head and I got a shot of his foot, like right by my camera. And it just, from that angle, it looked really cool. It's like on my website. I love those kind of shots, but you know, I've jumped back a few times and I've almost got kicked. I almost had beer and other stuff thrown on me. So yeah, wow. it's, it's pretty interesting down there. So. Yeah. Well, and one of my favorite pictures of yours is of Chris Stapleton and Justin Timberlake. I think it was oh, at yeah. the CMA awards. Yeah. That was my, that was like the, my all time favorite um, set to ever shoot was that they, they sang two songs together and that was just like amazing. That was mm-hmm. like, that was the best thing I've ever shot. I think as far as like talent and, you know, just the energy in the place and, it was awesome. That one's hanging on my office wall, actually. That picture you're talking about. I love yeah, that one. It's a good one. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Sweet. Well, I mean, that's all That's all I have. I, I want to respect your time, make sure you can get home and get home with your son safely. Is there anything else that uh, you'd want to share on the podcast? No, man. I, I'm, you pretty much covered everything, I think, man. I, I just want to tell you, I really enjoy listening to your stuff, man. And I'm, I really like your music that you're doing and yeah, man, you're doing you're doing everything the right way, I think. And, and if it seems to me like you're just not afraid to do things. You just if you want to do something, you go out and make it happen. And I admire that about people because that's what I've tried to do. You know, like my one of my best friends since we've been kids told me one thing I love about you, man, is you've always been a dreamer. And not only have you dreamed, you like go out and you don't think anything's too big for you. And I'm like, well. I've been pretty blessed, you know, like, it's not like I'm, you know, not, been, I mean, I, I work hard, but I've been blessed also, but I, I could tell you're putting in all the work, man. People just see stuff on social media or whatever, but they don't realize all the work that goes into all that stuff. So yeah, yeah man. Well, I thank you back, so bro. much. I'll do whatever I can to help you. So. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, likewise, I respect you and, and your story. Uh, it's something that has inspired me to, to keep going. So thank you. Right on, man. If you run into my daughter up there, tell her I said, hey, your name's Jennifer. So. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Will do. <laughs> All hey, right, bro. Thanks for, do- thanks for doing this with me. You're welcome, man. Thanks for having me. Uh-huh. Have a good night. This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host. Parker K. Subscribe at parkerk.co.